Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Leo Alstrom. I'm the worship arts pastor here at Rolling Hills. In our current series, Advance, we've been diving into different aspects of health, and today is a financial health. Money is a topic that our world tends to talk pretty often about, whether you're a Christ follower or not. It affects our lifestyles, our status at times, and some days our stress levels. God created us to use money and resources for His glory. So let's gain some new insight in financial health today and see how we can conform to God's plan for money versus the world's. Thanks for joining us today. Well, good morning to you guys. It is not raining today. It is not snowing. The sun is out. Can I get an amen? I mean, it's a beautiful day, and I feel like the year has started now. So it's official. Happy New Year again to all of you guys. I feel like we're on a new start, but it's just so great to be here with you this morning. I'm excited for what we're going to do in this place today as we continue in this series called Advance. And today we're looking about what it means to advance with financial health. And so I think this is something that God really wants to, to speak to our hearts about today because the Bible is not silent on this at all. He gives us so much clarity and so much wisdom about how to live with financial health. And so I hope and pray that God would speak to you today through His Word. So let's be honest. We like stuff, don't we? We are people with a lot of stuff. Dare I say, most of us do not park cars in our garages anymore. What is our garage? It serves as an extension of storage unit. You know, it's just a place where we kind of store everything that we don't have room for. And instead of parking cars in the garage, we just kind of tend to have it with shelves and boxes and all those kinds of things. Many of you probably have storage units. You're paying, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month to store furniture because you're going to need it someday or whatever the case, uh, you know, whatever the case might be. It's huge business, isn't it? I mean, really big business. I think here in North you know, I'm not a business guy per se, but I do know that there's a couple things that we seem to be really passionate about. We like nails and we like storage units, you know, so it's huge business. People like to get their nails done. We like storage units. We like to pay to store things. Now, this next one I know all of us are probably guilty of, where you have boxes that you have moved from the past couple of houses and it's still there and it's still unopened, but yet you're still going to need it. And you think at some point in time, those college textbooks are going to come in handy and you're realizing... Probably not. I'm probably never going to go back and consult those anymore, but we tend to do it. We're people who have a lot of stuff. We've accumulated a lot of stuff. Not only have we accumulated a lot of stuff, we're also people who have a lot of resources. Reality, you know, I hope this doesn't come as a newsflash to you, but we're people with lots of resources. We're people with lots of money. Researchers say that the average American coffee drinker spends about $1,100 per year on coffee. And for some of you, you're like, how could you possibly do that? In my case, it's like $1,100 a month. I mean, it's just, it's, just, it's just reality. I totally understand why people do this. We're people with means. But you might look at your own financial situation and say, I don't know, Pastor Jason. I really don't think that I'm a person who has a lot of financial resources. Maybe you don't even realize it. Now, I'm not diminishing the fact that many of us have gone through difficult financial seasons. And I'm not diminishing the fact that there are many people here in our community who are struggling financially. But big picture, from a global perspective, you and I are extremely wealthy. In fact, I encourage you to go at some point in time to check out the Global Rich List. It's an amazing website, and what you can do if you go to the Global Rich List, you can actually enter what your annual average or your annual income is, and it will tell you where you fall in the 7.8 billion people in the world, like where your specific spot is. And so I'm going to save you some of the work. If you make over $32,400 a year, you're in the top 1% of wealthiest people in the entire world. Let that sink in. If you make over $32,400 a year, you are in the top 1% of the wealthiest people across the globe. 
So because you and I have so much, we've figured it all out, haven't we? Clearly, money is not an issue for any of us anymore. Clearly, money brings us no stress. It has brought us all of the happiness in life. And we are perfectly content because we are people with financial means. We've handled it appropriately. We have managed it. We haven't allowed it to manage us. In reality, some of you are telling me by your faces nothing could be further from the truth. With the more that we have, sometimes the less happy that we have become. And the more that we have, sometimes the more struggles that have also been brought into our life. And so I'm excited to open up God's Word because I believe that we desperately need wisdom in this area. In fact, I believe that we all could benefit from understanding how to advance in a more financially healthy manner. I want to share with you some stats. And some of these stats may be true of you, and they may not be true of you. But these aren't stats that I've made up. These come from financial experts. And this is what they say. I want to go through five of these slides. 59% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. According to stats, 50, close to 60% of Americans live simply paycheck to paycheck and without being able to do anything else. 33% of adults in America have saved 0% for their retirement for a day that is to come. Next, 38% of households in America have credit card debt, that this is the way that we've just kind of managed money as we've just kind of swiped a card and we'll deal with it later. 67% of people in the U.S. would have a hard time paying a $1,000 emergency expense. And then lastly, 76% of millennials lack basic financial literacy. Now, I just graduated out of the millennial category, so we start picking on millennials all of a sudden. But I think we could probably take a Sharpie and write, take the word millennials and mark it out and enter any age group in there. That A lot of us just kind of lack basic financial literacy skills to say, how do I grow in this area? What is it that I seek to do? And so there's likely many things that God wants to teach us. And I pray that as we discuss these things today, that it would shape how you look and it would shape how you feel and how you advance in the area of financial health. So know that I'm so thankful that you are here. I don't believe it's by accident that any of us are here. And I believe the things that we're talking about today can bring so much freedom in our life to help us have just an amazing 2022. So the key text that we're going to be looking at today comes from 1 Timothy. And 1 Timothy is a letter that was written by Paul to his mentee, Timothy, and Timothy's serving in this city called Ephesus. And so every letter that you see in the Bible, it was, it was to be delivered to a really specific group of people for a very specific reason. And so there's obviously some things that are happening in Ephesus that we need to be aware of when it comes to finances. So listen to the key text. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for meeting us here. We're so grateful for who you are. Thank you for a powerful time of worship. Thank you for the sunshine today. Thank you for your presence in this place, God. I pray that we would Seek to be changed today because of you, that you would speak to us through your word, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would help us to walk away today different from how we came into this room and that we would advance in this area of financial health and that you would meet us here. And it's in the powerful name of Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. You go back to verse 17, it says, command those who are rich in this present world. And maybe five minutes ago, you would have not put yourself in that category. And you would have said, oh, this clearly has to be for other people. But I want to take you back to that global rich list. This is a verse of scripture that is extremely relevant for all of us. Command all of you who are rich in this present world to not be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put our hope in God. You may not know this, or you may be aware of this, but the county where we're sitting right now, Williamson County, Tennessee, did you guys know that Williamson County, Tennessee is the 10th wealthiest county in the United States of America? Number 10. I mean, we just broke into the 10th spot. 
of 3,100 plus counties in all of the United States of America. So we are extremely blessed. And some of you are saying, oh, yeah, I'm from Davidson County. I'm from Rutherford County. And so that doesn't, that doesn't apply to me. Well, if you go to Davidson County, you know, you slide down the list a little bit, but it's still in the 400s, you know, right around the 400 spot, 390, somewhere in there, out of 3,100 counties. So our area is very wealthy. And so as a result of that, these passages of Scripture have to be heard through that filter. So I want to give you some background as to why this is being discussed. What is it that Paul is trying to address with his mentee, Timothy? Why is it important for all of us? We'll go back just a couple chapters to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. And what does Paul say? The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. He says, everything that I'm bringing to you, I'm bringing it to you in good conscience. I'm bringing it to you in good faith. And I'm seeking to do the same thing today. You're not here. We're not here to make anybody feel guilty. Paul's not trying to make anybody feel guilty. He's just trying to say, I'm bringing a message about what tends to compete for priority in our life to help you understand what God says about that. Keep going in verse 6. It says, some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk, meaning that lots of people have kind of started living a life that's not fruitful. It's a very fruitless life. And Paul says, I desire for you to live a more meaningful life because some have deviated from the truth. And so for the next five chapters, he starts mapping out what that kind of life looks like and specific things that he addresses. So go back to chapter 6, chapter 6, verse 5. He says, constant friction is happening between people of a corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. And now we begin to see what's going on in Ephesus. He says there are people who are pursuing godliness, thinking that godliness leads them to financial gain. What does that look like? It means I have perfect attendance at church, so God will bless me richly. Or I seek to be the godliest person in the room so that God will reap all of these blessings upon me. And what Paul is saying is we don't pursue godliness so that we will get rich quick. If you've ever wondered, are there passages of Scripture that poke holes in this thing that's filtering through the church right now called the prosperity gospel? Where if I do all of the right things, God blesses me. See, what Paul says is you don't pursue godliness in order to get rich. You pursue godliness with contentment, he says. Look at verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So pursuit of godliness with kind of juxtaposed with contentment is where life really is advanced and how I advance the quickest. So what is contentment? If you had a chance to tune in last week, all of our services were online last week, and Mike Minter did an amazing job, and he gave what I think is one of the best definitions of contentment that I have ever heard. He says, contentment, and I quote, is not coming to a place where you have everything. Contentment is coming to a place where you desire nothing but God. That's contentment. Sometimes we think contentment is, oh, if I just had everything, I would be really, really content. No, contentment is coming to a place where I desire nothing but God. If you go back to the text, look at verses 9 and 10. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith, and they've pierced themselves with many griefs. And what Paul says is when you desire to just kind of get rich, you can fall into this trap of destruction. And the love of money can truly be a root of all evil. But rather, here's a better picture. Look at verse 11. But to you, man of God, flee from all of this 
and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. He says, man of God, flee from all those evil pursuits. Stop trying to major in all the things that are not significant, but major in the things that really matter. Advance in a pursuit of holiness and in the things of faith. Fight the good fight. Keep the faith, so to speak. Now, in full disclosure, the odds are stacked against me with this message today. And the odds are stacked against me with this message today because what we're talking about is at the heart, at the core, for many of us, one of the things that we struggle with the most. Sometimes we think that money competing for our attention is a new thing. It's really not. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun, including this. I mean, go back to AD 60 when this letter was written. They were dealing with this just like you and I are dealing with this today. And why it's so relevant and why you and I should be paying attention to what God says is because God knows, hear me, God knows that the chief competitor of our worship is going to be resources and money. It's as clear as anything. He says, I want you to be solely focused on me and what's going to compete for that time and that attention. It's money. It's resources. It's influence. It's all the things that you and I pursue after. And there's nothing wrong with those things inherently, but... In your mind, if you're feeling some kind of disconnect this morning because you're like, oh, I'm at church and I'm new today and they always talk about money. They always talk about, that's, that's what you're thinking. I'm not talking about this from any perspective besides God has made it really, really clear that he wants you to have health in this area. And it's all about your overall health. And yet some of us kind of have strong opinions or maybe we have experiences or we have a certain way that we were raised. Maybe our parents didn't model this well for us. And maybe we've struggled financially. All of those stats are 100% true about our lives. And so we don't know how we can live with financial freedom. And, and we're wondering, what do I do? And so I, I get it. I get that sometimes we have experiences or sometimes we have opinions or sometimes anything that could be the metric that we're using to kind of evaluate how we look at these things. And I have opinions just like you do. And I have experiences just like you do. You know, for example, the best bite of food that I've ever had in my entire life, hands down, is char-grilled oysters from Drago's Restaurant in New Orleans, Louisiana. If you know, you know. If you ever go to New Orleans, don't trip advisor it. Don't go looking for the best place. It's Drago's Restaurant, char-grilled oysters. They are amazing. Take my word for it. I know that the best place to watch college basketball, the best sporting arena in the history of sporting arenas is Rupp Arena, University of Kentucky, Lexington, Kentucky. Now, yesterday was a hard day, but we managed. Okay? Two of my teams had major losses yesterday, but that's okay. And then the Predators, which I don't care about, won. So, um, you know, that's just how, how it is. I'm just joking. I love the Predators as well. But I, it's kind of fighting words. You say, hey, where's the best place to watch basketball? I'm going to say Rupp Arena, Lexington, Kentucky. Where's the best food? Chargirl Oysters, Drago's, New Orleans, Louisiana. And you're going to have the same opinions. Why do we develop those opinions? It's based on experiences. It's based on things that we like. It's based on our interests. And when it comes to money, you and I have kind of settled into some kind of norms just because that norm has become comfortable for us. And when we start hearing things that kind of maybe poke some holes in that truth or kind of poke the bear a little bit, we begin to reject it a little bit. And it's not new. It's always been that way. Why? Because God's speaking to us about the thing that is very much a chief competitor for his worship, what he desires to do in our life. So go back to the text, back to verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world to not be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He says, command those to not be arrogant. And that word arrogant in the Greek language literally means high-minded. 
It means acting from a sense of self-greatness. Now, this may uh, hopefully encourage you, but also show you the significance of it. That word arrogant in that form is only used one time in the entire New Testament. So in that specific form, it is unique to this teaching of Scripture, to not be high-minded, to not think of yourself more you know, more greatly, to not think of yourself so highly, to you who are rich in this present age, which again we've said is all of us, stop thinking of yourself as the greatest. Why does this matter? Well, you see it here on your notes. When I think of myself as the greatest, I tend to have very little left for anything or anyone else, don't I? Have you noticed that in your life? This could literally be a point for every sermon I preach for the remainder of my life. When I think of myself as the greatest, I tend to have very little left for what? Anything? else or anyone else. Have you noticed in your life when you put yourself in the center and let everybody orbit around you, how often do you think about other people? Zero, because it's all about me. When I think of myself as the greatest, I tend to have nothing left for anyone else. Keep in mind what Paul is saying is I want you to live a fulfilled life, a faithful life, not a fruitless life. I want you to embody who Jesus is. What are the words that you would use to describe Jesus? He was selfless. He gave all. It's the heart of the gospel. At the center, Jesus literally did not take into account his own gain, but he gave all, gave his life as a beautiful sacrifice so that you could have life. His life was given, his blood was shed so that our sins could be forgiven, that our sins could be taken away. And if you have not experienced the power of the gospel, I pray that this would be the day that you experience just how good he is. These are wise words to heed from Paul. When I'm in the center, I have no space for what really should be in the center. It's God and other people. Now, additionally, in verse 17, Paul says, don't set your sights or put your hope on the uncertainty of wealth. And I think that this is kind of the missing piece. I've preached several sermons before about biblical generosity and about understanding how, how God wants us to view money and all those kinds of things. And I think the missing piece that really kind of, kind of was galvanized in my mind as I've been studying and preparing for this message is you see it there in verse 17, is that when I chase after resources or when I make resources my own God, in, se- in essence, what I'm doing is I'm chasing after a moving target. He says, because we tend to follow after the uncertainty of wealth. And what do we know about wealth? It can be very uncertain, can it? Because what happens to the dollar? The dollar increases in value. It goes down in value. If you have stocks, the stocks go up, the stocks go down. Many of you are business owners. You've had some really successful years, haven't you? And you've had some really lean years. You've had years where you got a promotion, and you've had years where you didn't get a promotion. You've had years that the books looked great, and you've had years that they didn't look so great. Why? Because there's always uncertainty when it comes to wealth. So what do you and I need to be aware of? You see it here on the screens. I advance by putting my focus on who is constant instead of what is constantly changing. I advance by putting my focus on who is constant, and that's God instead of what is constantly changing. I mean, look back at the text. Don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I don't know about you, but I've come to the realization, especially over the past couple of years, that it's really exhausting to try to keep up with moving targets. I think a lot of us have been frustrated over the last two, two and a half years. Why? Because the target's kind of always moving. You ever had a boss that kind of always kept moving the goalposts for you? How much did you enjoy that job? Not so much, right? Because you didn't know, am I winning? This is what I thought I was supposed to do, and all of a sudden you've moved the target on me. And now instead of being successful, I'm not deemed successful. When I go after a moving target, 
I'm going to tend to always be frustrated. And I think a lot of us, the hope has been robbed in our life over the past couple of years because we've just not been following the one who is constant, never changing. And we've allowed our agenda to be set by all of the things of this world that are forever changing. I mean, let me give you a perfect example. Do you guys remember the food pyramid when you were kids? When I was a kid, I remember the food pyramid, so I got a, pic- a picture of it up here. Um, I loved this food pyramid. Um, we don't use this anymore, by the way. It's obsolete. Let me tell you why it's obsolete. Anybody notice anything? When I was a kid, we were told, eat more pasta than vegetables. I mean, that's what we were told. As a kid, we were told, literally, we're told, I'm not making this up. We were told the bulk of your, of your food should be in grains. It should be in bread. Six to 12 servings of grain, pasta, everything else. I mean, I remember as a first grader, a second grader, going home thinking to myself, I should eat more bread than eggplant. <laughs> That's what it says. Who's ready to bring back the food pyramid? I mean, right? I mean, let's say, we like this. But all of a sudden, they moved the target on us. And they put fruit and vegetables down on the bottom. And now, you know, grains and everything else are completely bad. It, it, you, can't, you can't keep up. And I say this is a joke. I mean, this is obviously in jest. But isn't it true in life that you and I have a hard time when we don't know who we should be listening to? And God says, I want you to listen to me. I want you to be, me to be your priority. And when I'm your priority, everything else just tends to work out. So how I really advance is by following him who is constant, opposed to what is constantly changing. And so I encourage you, friends, to keep him first and then let everything else fall in place in life. I want you to hear a story this morning. And this story is from an amazing family here in the life of our church, specifically from our Nolansville campus. And I want you to hear from them how they have advanced in the area of financial health and how the difference that it has made. And I hope that you'll be encouraged by their story. Take a look. I'm uh, Danny Clawson, and this is my wife of 23 years, Kelly Clawson. And we have a daughter, 16, uh, Kenley Joe Clawson. So I'm a home builder. I've been in the home building industries for 31 years and love it. Love being able to make dreams come true and I'm very happy doing it. And I am very blessed that I get to be a stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home wife. Love it. I'm very blessed that I get to do that. You know, tithing, it didn't, it didn't come easy by any means. Um, you know, when we married in 99, of course, uh, we weren't involved in any church, so it just wasn't any part of uh, what we did. Paychecks come in every month, and paychecks won out every month. I mean, we kind of lived uh, by the seat of our britches, and um, what money we made, we spent it. So there was definitely no margin within uh, our bank account for, for tithing, but not having that discipline of tithing, it was a struggle back then. It was about four years into uh, us going to church, at one point we made we kind of said, we, we can't afford to tithe. And we kind of looked at each other and was like, we can't afford not to tithe. Exactly. You know, we've got we've to make a decision here. When we made the decision to start, to start tithing, uh, we sat down and really we went through bank account, I remember bank statement after bank statement after bank statement, and looking at really where we put our money. And a big thing for us too was putting that budget, putting giving, putting church at the top of that, top of that list. It was a, a whole mind shift for us of saying if we're going to do this and we want it to be the first, the first of our fruit, and it, it needs to come out of the first of the month. So we had to completely change kind of how we thought, 
thought through things, I think was honestly the best decision we could have made uh, for our whole life of just putting God first and not just finances, but everything. Well, I think too, when you do start giving and you give with a joyous heart, you get more blessings that way. Whether it's, you know, you're, you're able to give more, you're able to help other people, it's just you're giving out of a cheerful heart and that's a blessing in itself right there. Bottom line is we've got to grow God's kingdom and it takes all of us to do it. You feel the Holy Spirit talking to you, you know, if this is where you need to go. And uh, once you take that step and you put God first and you show that, that, that discipline there, uh, you can't outgive God. He's gonna, he's gonna take care of you. Did you notice how Danny and Kelly said they used to think that they couldn't afford to do this, but now they realize they can't afford not to? It's because what happens is it, your mindset begins to totally change when you begin to trust God with the very thing that tends to be the chief competitor of our worship. And what Paul is saying here would totally, it totally affirms in what Danny and Kelly said. When we look at verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. See, Paul is saying command people to be rich in the things that matter, which in this case are good deeds. It's generosity. It's a willingness to share with other people. Have you ever stopped to think about this? You see this here on the screen. Have you ever asked yourself this question or thought about this concept? You will always be rich in something. I mean, think about it. You might be rich monetarily, or you may not be rich in money. You might be rich in serving others. You may be rich in cars. You may be rich in travel. You may be rich in debt because of said cars and travel. Whatever the case might be, you're going to be rich in something. And I encourage you to do some self-inventory to ask yourself the question, what am I really rich in? Where do I have an abundance in my life? What measure am I using? What is that metric? What is that litmus test, if you will, in terms of my future and in terms of the things that, that I'm bringing into my life, is, is every decision in your life a financial decision? Do you only look at things through how does this impact the bottom line of our business or the bottom line of our family? If so, then it may very well be that you and I are rich in some things that don't matter. And here are the words of Jesus. What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 6? Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What does Jesus say here in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, earthly treasures really never satisfy. It's why I love that song that we sing, let my heart want for nothing but you, only you. The riches of this world will what? Never satisfy. And moths and rust just destroy them. However, Wherever our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So am I looking for earthly treasures or eternal treasures? I pray that you and I would become rich in what really matters. But it's important for us to note this as well. Be advised. Consider yourself duly advised. No one ever accidentally becomes rich in what really matters, though. No one ever accidentally becomes rich in what really matters. When is the last time in your life you drifted without intentionality to the right things? No, we never do, right? We never drift to the right things. I make this joke all the time. No one ever drifts to exercise. We always drift to Twinkies. I mean, that's just, there's got to be some intentionality. You know, I never drift to the salad menu. I always drift to the deep fried part of the menu. I mean, that's just naturally what happens. So no one ever accidentally becomes rich in what really matters. 
That's why Ecclesiastes 3.1 is so important. There's a time for everything. There's a season for every activity under heaven. What does Scripture say? Scripture says that there's a time for everything. There is a time and intentionality that we have to invest in these things. And so there's some steps and some plans and some systems that you and I have got to be able to put in place in order to advance in these areas. Now, this can be said of everything that we've talked about in this advanced series, and certainly today is no exception. So I want to share with you just a few suggestions, a few tips, a few pointers, if you will, about how to advance in this area. The first of which is a budget. Come up with a budget. And some of you have never budgeted in your life, and so I encourage you to just, it, it can be as simple as it needs to be. Maybe you have a very simple budget and you want to make that more intentional. I don't care. But if you're not budgeting at all, start today. Why? Because you will never advance with financial health if you don't understand what's coming in and what's going out. Simply put. If you don't hear anything else that I say today, this is not just my principles. God wants us to be clear on this because he wants us to be clear with his agenda. And so until we understand where we are, we're never going to understand what steps to take. Secondly, please, please, please don't let your money manage you, but you manage it. And this is a real situation for a lot of us. It's why I would encourage you to be a part of things like Financial Peace University. We have a Financial Peace University that's starting on February the 6th. Uh, this is not a shameless plug. This is a passionate plea for you to be connected to this. On February the 6th, it's a nine-week course that happens at our campus, our staff office, which is just right down the street. Do not miss opportunities to, to figure out ways to see what does God have to say about this and what can I learn as a result of that. Another thing I would encourage you is just to begin figuring out ways to give, save, live. Give, save, live. For our family, we do a 10-10-80 principle where we give 10%, we save 10%, and we live off 80%. It's what was modeled to be from my parents, and it's what we're seeking to model with our kids. We have three jars on both of our kids' dressers, and so when they get money for birthdays, we talk about how much of this goes to the give portion, how much of this is saved, how much of this is lived. And do you know what I've realized with my eight-year-old and my four-year-old? They're just like me. They like the live jar a lot better than the give jar. The live jar is more fun than the save jar. But it's important for us to figure out ways to work this into our everyday life. In fact, another thing I would encourage you to do is prepare for the future. Prepare for the future. Find ways to be involved in long-term planning. It's why we have an estate planning seminar coming up on January the 30th. Again, not a shameless plug, a passionate plea. Find ways to come and be a part of this free service. It's absolutely free from Financial Planning Ministry. And you can come next Sunday, 12.30 p.m. at our Franklin campus live. Uh, you can, February 1st, 6.30 p.m. It's a webinar, but it's an awesome way for you to kind of learn about what some long-term planning likes, about how to get a will set up, about opportunities of preparing for the future. And so we just want you to know as a church how passionate we are about this. And so come and connect with us in these areas. I encourage you to pray about purchases. Now, does that mean that you have to pray every time you're in a drive-through line? I mean, I don't, I don't think so. But when you have large outputs of money that are leaving your accounts, pray and say, God, is this how you really want me to spend that? Is this really what you want me to do? Do we really need to kind of Pull back a little bit, if you will. This next one is um, certainly not earth-shattering, but one that a lot of us, self-included, uh, tend to struggle with sometimes. If you can't afford it, don't buy it. Hello? It's, this is the most the quietest it's been, all three services, was at this point. It's simply it, truth. If you can't afford it, don't buy it. And sometimes we just have to simply say, you know what? I just can't continue living the way that I've been living. 
I just can't continue with that lifestyle. We just can't continue with X, Y, Z. If you can't afford it, just simply don't buy it. Talk about it with your family. Model it with your neighbors. Model it with your kids. And of course, don't shy away from the teachings of the Bible on these issues because God wants you to experience freedom in these areas. Look back at verse 19. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And he says, you take hold of life that is truly living, not run-of-the-mill living, but truly life. Biblical generosity brings a unique perspective that nothing else will bring in your life. It's truly life. People ask me sometimes, what's the key to living? It's following God's principles for every aspect of your life. Biblical generosity brings a perspective that nothing else will bring. Have you noticed when you're around a generous person how fun they are? I love generous people, and we have some of the most incredibly generous people here at Rolling Hills. When you're around generous people, they carry themselves with an air of, about them that they just kind of know everything's going to be okay because they know that they've had many seasons of their life where God has provided in ways they don't even know how to describe. And I love being around generous people because there's, there's joy and there's peace and there's hope in their life because they realize, as Danny and Kelly said, you can't ever outgive God. And as a result of that, they seek to position them lives in places to just simply be used by Him. One of my favorite teachings in Scripture on the concept of generosity is 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Listen, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Don't you love when God brings a very spreadsheet mentality to people who love spreadsheets? Some of y'all are like Excel junkies, and you're like, just let this be your life verse. Because what does God say? Whoever sows sparingly also reaps sparingly, but whoever sows generously also reaps generously. This past year, uh, I was at the farmer's market. It was right at the beginning of the summer, and it's that time, and I can't wait for the time of the year when all the strawberries come out. And I was there at the farmer's market, and I, and I thought to myself, I'm going to buy a whole flat of strawberries, which is a lot of strawberries. And I took them all home, and there's my beautiful wife sitting at our house. And I said, look what I brought us. She's like, that's a lot of strawberries. What was your intention for all those? I was like, you know, strawberry shortcakes. And she was like, for the whole town? I mean, like what, you know? And so then she kind of got in her mind because she's really amazing. And so she said, you know what? I've always wanted to make strawberry jam. So let me just look up some rest. So I'm going to figure out how to make strawberry jam. And so she made strawberry jam and it was awesome. Literally the best strawberry jam I've ever had. And I thought, you know, you need to start selling this jam. And so we just kind of joked about it. Well, then one of her cousins gave her a strawberry plant uh, this past year because, you know, we heard about it. And so we brought that strawberry plant home and we put one strawberry plant in the ground. One. Okay. We've got one strawberry plant. We're farmers now. I mean, we've got one strawberry plant in the ground. And here's what I want to tell you about that one strawberry plant. I am under no assumption that we are going to be making a lot of strawberry jam from one plant. We're going to be lucky this year if we get, what, probably 20, 25 strawberries from that one said plant. Why do I tell you that? Because what we sowed was a very sparing crop. It was one plant that went in the ground. And what we're going to yield from that is a very small yield. But let me tell you, friends, because I was raised on a farm, when you start dropping lots of plants in the ground, and you start dropping lots of seeds in the ground, and you start putting lots of plants in the ground, and you let God do the work through the sun and the, and the fertilizer and all the stuff that you put on there, and I begin to see generous heaping crops that come. And God says, the same thing I want to do in your life. Whoever sows sparingly tends to reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously reaps 
generously. So if I sow generously and prioritize what matters, not a pursuit of rewards, not a pursuit of getting more, but saying, I know there's peace and there's purpose and there's fulfillment and there's hope that comes when I sow generously. And what Scripture says is that we experience true life. So I want to close today with this. Real and meaningful life is often found in the last place that you and I tend to look. Because where do we look for real meaningful life? The next thing, the next item, something bigger, something better, more resources, more finances, whatever the case might be. Whereas Scripture says real and meaningful life is often found where we least expect it and where we're sometimes last to look. And that's in prioritizing God and letting everything else fall in place. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. I'm going to have the band come forward. And maybe God wants to work with your heart today. Maybe he just wants to simply help you realize that in, in, my, in my life, I have sowed very sparingly, and I want to invest in things that will outlive me. Or maybe you're here, and you're just uh, you're struggling, struggling to, to realize and believe uh, that God wants to advance you in all these areas of health in your life and that this would be the day when you make those decisions. And for those of you who just are experiencing the joy that comes with generosity, that it would just continue to pour out of you and that you would help other people understand what it means to live below their means and to live with an expectation of trust and faith in you. So God, thank you for meeting us here today. I pray that this year ahead for us, all that 2022 has in store for us, that we would advance as the healthiest people that we can possibly be. And today, specifically, God, we ask you to help us in this area of finances. Help us to trust you. Help us to set the right priorities. Help us to have faith in you. Meet us here, God, as we seek to live lives for you. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, subscribe to it or share it with some friends. You can also check out some of our great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We're thankful for you.